Okay, you'll have to forgive me. I'm a little bit croaky after shouting at the football, uh, girls' football yesterday at, at school. Um, let me pray for us uh, as we go on and read God's Word. Father, we thank you again for bringing uh, this Word to us. Lord, we pray that your Spirit is working in us to change us, to change our hearts, and to listen to you. Lord, humble ourselves as we, uh, as we listen to what you have to teach to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, uh, a couple of weeks ago I, um, I spoke on the second half of Acts 9, uh, so I'm going to just catch us up, up, up on that. Um, we saw the, uh, that we're moving through the template that was given to us in Acts chapter 1, uh, where Jesus promises that the, his apostles will be his witnesses through Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Oops, I've just lost my son. Bizarre. Okay. Um, and then we see in Acts uh, chapter 7, Stephen um, gives his uh, sermon and then is... Uh, becomes the first Christian martyr. And from that, in Acts chapter 8, we see persecution of the Christians. And it causes the Christians to run from Jerusalem and spread throughout all Judea and Samaria. And so we see this plan of God and plan of Jesus from Acts chapter 1 happening. And we even see an Ethiopian official getting baptized. The, the, the message going, to, uh, going out from the Samaritans. Now the Samaritans were considered themselves to be Jews and God's people as well. So that's the first time it goes out. But we don't see, what we don't see is the Holy Spirit going out. So we see that he's baptized, but we don't see the Holy Spirit at work. We don't see miracles among the Gentiles. Um, and so, well, and in the rest of uh, Acts, uh, well, start of Acts chapter 9, we see Paul's amazing conversion on the Damascus Road we see Jesus coming to Paul and anointing him as his apostle to go out to the Gentiles. He says to, to, you know, uh, to Ananias at the time, this is my messenger who will suffer greatly but go out to the Gentiles. So we're already you know, guns blazing, ready to take the flag out to the, the Gentiles, ready to sweep the land and conquer the land with Jesus' word, with Paul at the, he, at the forefront and the head, and we know that's going to happen. And then we see this sudden, very jarring, swap back to Peter, and two very innocuous, uh, small miracles happening. Well, uh, in, uh, in, the in my last sermon, I said, why is this? Well, what we need to see is that we need nowadays, right now, to be certain that the message that goes out to the Gentiles, that's us, the non-Jews, the, the message that went out was the same gospel that Jesus preached, the same gospel uh, that the first Jews were, were being persecuted for. And who better to take that out than Peter, who Jesus appointed as his rock on whom the, uh, the, the church was going to be founded. So we see that Jesus make, and, and God uses Peter to first bring the gospel out to the Gentiles. So there's no doubt in those people who question about Paul and whether he really just made up the Christian message, there's no doubt 
that God intended the gospel, his gospel to go out to the Gentiles. And so Peter is the chosen one. He's the one who firstly goes out to the Gentiles before handing over the baton to Paul, and, uh, who, who is God's chosen uh, one, uh, apostle to the Gentiles. Now, it's interesting to see how people can change. In my, in my last school, when students got into the sixth form, that's the last two years of school before university, they were allowed to wear their own clothes. They had to wear a suit or jacket and their own tie and their own shirts. Um, and they, they kind of pushed the boundaries to what was acceptable by that. But I suddenly saw when they moved from the, the year 11 to the GCSE year into the sixth form, the same children who, uh, scruffy boys who I'd been telling for years, five years I'd been telling them to tuck their shirts in, to do their top buttons up, you know, suddenly transform into these young men, these adults. Uh, and, and the girls, you know, uh, the ones who are always trying to get away with you know, making their sh- skirts a little bit too short, you know, and, and leaving their buttons just a little bit undone and getting away with wearing a little bit of makeup, all of a sudden, young adults ready to take on the world. Well, we see this in Acts, don't we? We see Peter has transformed from the kind of bit of a bumbling idiot. I mean, that's why we like Peter, isn't it? He's the everyman. He's the guy who's first to shout out, I'll do it. You know, he's the one who, when he sees Jesus walking on the water, he says, Lord, let me come out and walk on the water. And then he starts to sink. Um, he's the one who, even in uh, you know, Mark 8, he, he, he's so shocked by what Jesus says. He takes Jesus and says, you can't say that. He starts to rebuke Jesus. And Jesus, in turn, re- rebukes him. He's the one that, when Jesus says, I'm going to die, Peter says, I'm going to follow you, follow you to prison and even to death. And we know what happens with that. He denies Jesus three times. Yeah. So he's the one who jumps in fully with two feet. And in some ways, that's why he's the leader. But we see in Acts this sudden maturity. He is the one who's preaching. He's the one who's leading. He's the one who's looking after the church. So in some ways, it's quite nice in this passage just to see a glimmer of the old Peter. He seems completely clueless as to what's happening uh, in this dream. I mean, we, know, we, should, we probably know it well. This great sheet comes down and this, this meat feast is presented before him. But he looks around and he says, I can't eat any of these. And God, as he often does, does this three times just to emphasize the point. What God has declared clean, let no man declare as unclean, okay? Kill and eat. And we can't really understand this. I mean, we don't really get this whole idea of why Peter shouldn't eat this, okay? I once heard it uh, said that if Adam was a Chinese guy, then man would never have fallen. And... uh, when asked about that, I wasn't quite sure about that, so when asked about that, you know, I asked, yeah, well, I don't get that. He said, well, the snake would have already been eaten by that time. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I grew up in the British culture, I, I, you know, so I'm, I'm very British. I, I shy away from eating things like snakes, and I don't even like chicken feet. I'm, I'm not a great fan. Um, but I do, I do have some sense of kind of, 
uh, a little bit of the, the, the amusement at the squeamishness that British people have. So um, a British person would never eat a dog or a cat. You know, that, that would be horrendous. The idea of, you know, uh, the, the household pet being served up at dinner, that, that's, that would make them really squeamish. But, you know, I, so I find that quite amusing because it's still an animal. And, and as I grew, I grew up, we kept chickens. And, you know, I, we, we saw them from little cute chicks. And so we petted them. And we, we even ate, uh, you know, our pet rabbits. So that was a little interesting. Um, so I, I understand the kind of, like, a little bit of the Chinese mentality of that. But... That shows us a little bit of the squeamishness, um, but actually it's much more than that. It would be, I think the closest we can come is if, if God ca called you and told you to go out and, and take some crack cocaine. You know, the law says it's wrong. Society says it's forbidden and it's all for you. You've grown up knowing that drugs are bad and been taught all your life that drugs is bad. If that is presented before you and God says, take it, this is the thing you should be doing, well, we'd take a step back and say, God, really, do you want this for us? Um, and so that's what Peter is facing. And so as a good Jew, Peter says, no, I, I can't do this. And so he's perplexed and bewildered as to what this means. And he's probably bewildered all the way up until, well, we see, we see the, the light slowly coming on his eyes. So, in, so uh, I mean, I'm going to read out uh, what John Stott says in his commentary on Acts. He writes, It is difficult for us to grasp the impossible gulf which yawned in those days between Jews on the one hand and Gentiles, even the God-fearers, on the other. Israel twisted the doctrine of election into one of favoritism. So twisted the doctrine of being chosen into one of we are the elite. She, Israel, became filled with racial pride and hatred. She despised Jews as dogs. No orthodox Jew would even enter the home of a Gentile, even a God-fearer, or invite such, uh, such a one into his home. All familiar discourse with Gentiles was forbidden. No pious Jew would have sat down even at the table with, Gentile, with a Gentile. Well, I wonder what this reminds you of. Perhaps the racial divide that existed between white and black people in the West right up until the 80s. I was actually quite shocked when I found out there was segregation in, uh, in, uh, I th in America in, I think, the buses right up until the 80s, which is, I mean, I was alive at that, at that point, I think. Um, the, the, the laws, m must be that the laws got, a, a, I think the laws got abolished at that, at that point. But, um, but, you know, the, certainly up until the 60s, uh, that was that was very prevalent. Is that is that right? So the 60s, okay. So this is the 60s, um, but things things still happen today. Uh, but certainly it was just commonplace. Um, you know, not too long ago, two generations back, that racial prejudice where you wouldn't even talk, uh, have a, a normal conversation with someone of the uh, you know, across that boundary. And I find that hard, actually, uh, you know, in this culture, that there's, you know, um, 
that uh, some of my, uh, my cleaners won't, won't actually engage in conversation with me um, when, I try and, when I try and talk to them. Or it could be the divide between, you know, um, and, and I see this in, in the UK, between some Christian communities and the, and the gay community. They are the unclean. They are the people who we shun. There is hatred there. Even though we know as Christians we're sinful, somehow this idea of election, this idea of being chosen despite all our sin, comes into, you know, gets twisted into favoritism. Is that something that we're guilty of? And let's come back to that in a minute. You see, the moment that Peter steps across that threshold into Cornelius' house, it's one of the most amazing moments in history. Without this scene that plays before us in Acts 10, there would be no worldwide church. The Roman Empire that, uh, that spread the gospel across the world when the Roman, uh, Romans became Christians, they spread the gospel across the world. That wouldn't have happened. All the missionaries and the martyrs, the British Empire that, that spread Christianity, among all the bad things that's happened, it, it also spread the, the, the gospel across the world. The church, the tremendous growth that's happening in Africa and in China, and all the, the things that are going on, even in Malaysia, Christian, Christianity being spread, the preaching of this word, in all the churches this morning, this afternoon, on this day, that wouldn't have happened without this scene where, P where Peter takes that bold step to cross the threshold into, P uh, in Cor into Cornelius' house. And here we see the light finally dawning on Peter. Let's look down. The key verses, let's have a look at verse 34. He responds to Cornelius' revelation. He says, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. And right there, Peter realizes the true meaning of that statement. He, God, Jesus, is Lord of all. Not just Lord of the Jews. He's not just, yes, he's the creator of all. Yes, he rules over all the Gentiles. But he is their Lord as well. He is their saviour. He is Lord of all. And the every nation, we see this reflected again at the end of this chapter. Every nation, he's talking about the same every nation that, he, uh, that is in Matthew uh, chapter 28, verse 19. The Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That every nation is translated into every people group. You could say, oh, there's Malay Christians, or there, there are Malaysians who are Christians. No, every people group. Okay? It's the, the communities around, and it's a great joy to see that this, this church cares about the little communities that are around and we, that, that we want to go out. Okay? It's encouraging. This, this passage should encourage us. We have been given this message to take 
the gospel out to every people group. And so I, I wonder, are you prepared to share the gospel with every people group? As amazing and familiar as this passage is, I wonder also whether you've actually thought about and noticed who the main focus of this passage is. We actually see an amazing conversion, or actually we don't see the conversion because they're already God-fearers. It already sees that, it says that Cornelius praised the God uh, and, and uh, does good works. But the main focus of this passage, surely it's Peter, isn't it? It goes on and on about Peter. So we see just a small passage about, about Cornelius. That's the main person who was converted here. He goes from someone who is a provincial Jew. He says, this is your church, God. I'm going to lead this church. Suddenly to realizing this church is worldwide. So it's Peter's conversion here. And so, can we follow in his footsteps? Do we see that God is a God of all people? Are we prepared to share God's message to all people groups? Sorry. So, the question to ask ourselves is, who... Who do we prejudice against ourselves? And you're probably thinking, like, like I was when I was actually writing this passage, I was thinking, I'm not prejudiced against anyone. I talk to ev everyone. Well, I try to anyway. And I think, I'm, I'm thinking myself, the conversation with the taxi drivers who I always, you know, always take, do I avoid the subject of the gospel? Yes, they know I'm Christian. Do I avoid actually putting them on the spot and saying, well, what do you think? You know, Jesus died for you. Is it our co-workers? Is it the boss who is, you know, yeah, you have very nice conversations with, very superficial conversations with? Do you avoid those conversations about what you do on a Sunday or how much that your faith means to you? Is it your neighbor, the, you know, maybe it's the, the particularly gossipy one? Who, who talks about all her, you know, all her friends, or maybe the, the, the mother who constantly talks about her children and, and boasts about her children. Do you engage in small talk with them, but avoid the gospel? The thing that you say means the most to you. The thing that means life and death. Do we avoid it just so that we can live nice, harmonious lives? I know as, I'm right, you know as I wrote this that I'm guilty of that. It's, it's a difficult thing to think about. Maybe it's the, the gay, gay friend that's in your workplace that keeps his homosexuality as a low profile because he's in Malaysia. Maybe you don't want to upset him. You want to be seen as the, the kind of uh, the, the nice Christian and maybe then he, he'll, he'll, he'll understand that Christians are actually nice people. Um, that aren't, aren't judgmental and aren't horrible people? Do we avoid the conversation about the gospel with him? And, you know, the Muslims who are around us. Yes, it's illegal, but we, we know we have a, a greater, higher calling. So, I know that when I wrote this, this was talking to myself 
as well as us as a congregation. We are a family. Let's encourage us, each other. And you know, when we talk to each other, maybe put ourselves into, under, uh, in the spotlight and say, how's your witness been this week? We, do we ask those questions when we, when we talk to each other? Let me pray. Father, your, this relationship with you brings us such joy, such peace. And it teaches us how to love, how to love one another and how to love our neighbors. Lord, we pray that you continue to work in us to love those around us. Lord, I pray that you continue to work in this church to give us a heart for the lost, the lost communities, communities around us. Lord, I pray that you challenge us as well to share this love that we have, this thing that is central to our lives, this thing that means life and death. Lord, I pray that you work in us to change us. Give us the words, Lord. When, give us the boldness when we're afraid and give us the words to say, help us to trust that you, you are in those words, Lord. Help us to trust that you are the creator God, that God, God is in control of everything. And let us follow in the footsteps of Peter and say that you are Lord of all. In Jesus' name, amen.